Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Uh, doing well. We're we're almost to the thick of everything in May, and it's just kind of that awkward in-between phase right now. Yeah, a little bit of anticipation for what awaits us here in the second half of the month, but for now, we're a bit of a lull. Yeah, but still plenty to get to, right? I mean, we, we have recap of the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama, won by Pato Award at Barber Motorsports Park last weekend. Plus, we finally have 33 entries, Stefan Wilson announced, as we record on Thursday afternoon. And more silly season news for 2023. Go figure. Huh. More to and, talk and, about. And, and, and this more one, to speculate, huh? Yeah, this one not really a surprise, though. I think this one was pretty expected. Yeah. Kyle Kirkwood yeah. uh, expected to go to Andretti Nathan Brown. But what Brown car is he in? Reporting that. Is he in... One would assume it's the 27 car. Yes. Is he replacing <laughs> Alexander Rossi? One Probably. would assume. Well, first, we'll start with the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama over the weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. Pato Award picks up his third career IndyCar win. He's now won on a road course at Barber, an oval at Texas last year, and a street course at Detroit last year as well. Can he well. get his million dollars? Oh, no, no, that's not how it works. No, no, no. He, he's got to do it all in one year. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he did do it um, technically all in one calendar year. Very true. But uh, not all in the same IndyCar season. So with that, Pato, his third career win, and I think my first takeaway is just simply how much things have changed from going into Long Beach for Pato and where he's at now. A fifth at Long Beach, he wins at Barber at a track where he won the pole last year, but it faded back a little bit. This year, quick in qualifying, didn't have enough for, for the pole with VK, but he just, it seems like a completely different driver. And while no new deal has been reported as signed, it's on the table and it feels like things are amicable amicable between he and the team. Well, this just kind of goes in line with what we've heard out of Pato Award and, and the McLaren camp for the, for the last you know month or so in Pato Award really refocusing and getting his mind right and focusing on the task at hand, which is IndyCar. And instead of worrying about this prospects of Formula One and the future and people talking about it, which I think is just as much of a distraction as you, know, you actually dealing with it, it putting all that out of his mind has now, I feel like, rejuvenated, revitalized Pato Award in IndyCar. And we saw that evidenced on Sunday at Barber and, and really sets him up for what could be a really special month of May for Pato Award and McLaren. Yeah. I mean, everything is lined up and it seems like they've figured out whatever issues there were with the team. Qualifying's not really been an issue for most of the season, especially since Texas. And here they are. And I think once again, he's going to be a contender. Uh, the next handful of races, uh, obviously, especially the Indy 500, where he finished fourth last year. He knows how to get his way around the speedway, definitely. And you have to feel, okay, maybe people say all oh, the road course you kind of use to get momentum for the 500, but I feel like Pato Award already has the momentum with how we've seen. You, you hope if you're McLaren and Pato Award that the Grand Prix goes well, but. I feel like you have to feel positive about the Indianapolis 500 and, and qualifying if you're Pato Award based on what we've seen so far and his performance there previously. 
All right, what's your first takeaway? Well, my first takeaway is let's talk about Renus VK because I think there's some interesting things to talk about. He gets uh, his second poll of his career. Is his second correct? Yes. Uh, and and had a shot to win. I mean, he was dominating the first half of the race, or the you know, the first two-thirds of the race, you could even say. And uh, unfortunately, pit sequencing really hurt him. And, you know, not being able to get him out in a, a timely manner you know, really doomed him. But, you know, you look at Renus VK, and he continues to prove that he can be a steady performer in this series. And then if you look at the mailbag, or maybe it was the barber... Uh, recap something from Marshall Pruitt basically insinuating with his contract up at the end of the year could he be on the move and and one of those teams was mentioned was was McLaren so Pato Award beats Renus VK on track for uh, a victory and you can throw Alex Pillow in there in second but could these guys be potential future teammates come next year could we see Pato Award Renus VK Alexander Rossi as the trio at McLaren you have a veteran plus two guys who have a couple seasons under their belt, but still considered young guns in the series who've each won at least a race. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's quite the lineup. Definitely could be. And it was it was cool to see Renus VK on the pole and also keep it in front. I mean, to the point where NBC was focusing on so many other drivers in the field in the first half of the race, like Renus VK... I would argue got the least amount of screen time for a guy that started on the pole and and led 57 laps than anybody I've ever seen. There was so much focus on new gardening and and power and guys in the field even at the start of the race that it was like you almost forgot that Renus VK was in front cuz he was consistently up by, you know, a second to a second and a half to 2 seconds that whole time. Yeah, absolutely. So while I feel like NBC could have focused a little bit more on the front of the field, it is a, a testament to Renus VK's abilities as a driver to almost make it boring up front for the first two-thirds of the race. I'm going to go with my second takeaway. How about Callum Eilat? You know, we he had a, a good practice session at Texas, um, but what he did this weekend, yes, the result's not there. He started 11th, good qualifying run. He had uh, the fastest time in warm-up, if I'm not mistaken in the final session on Saturday evening. And yes, that spin knocked him down to 25th, but this was a weekend where it seems like that Hunkos Hollinger team really got their stride. It feels like the confidence is starting to show and, and Callum Eilat we're, we're almost getting introduced to him, right? I feel like the, through the Peacock sessions this is the first time I've really think I remember him being interviewed and, you know, he's a talented young racer and, the future looks bright for him, not just in IndyCar, obviously, but he'll be in Miami for the F1 race this weekend because he's a reserve driver for Alfa Romeo. But this was kind of his breakout performance weekend. Well, breakout performance for the for the team as well, too. I think it was well well deserved the kudos and the attention they got from NBC uh, throughout the weekend, being able to qualify. What was at eleventh? They felt like maybe they had a top ten car to start. Uh, but just barely missed the top 10. But being able to advance into the Fast 12 was a big deal for this team, considering it's the lone single-car entry uh, full-time in the series. And I, I really feel like in terms of most talented rookies, 
And I think Kyle Kirkwood is in that conversation. And in terms of, you know, road to Indy, definitely he's number one. But I think a lot of people just don't recognize the rep, the resume that Callum Eilat has. This guy very easily could be in a Formula One seat this year and still has a bright future and potentially landing that in the near future. So this is a guy that knows how to wheel it around the track. And, and I think maybe we're undervaluing the performance out of him because of the team he is with. And hopefully he can continue to to trend upwards, as does his team, because I feel it's a definite story. And I, I, we may not fully value Callum Eilat until potentially he's gone and he's in Formula One and potentially competing you know, at the top end of the field before we go, man, we were really lucky to see that kid for a year or a couple years in IndyCar. Well, and... You know, last year when he ran the final, what, three races of the season, we were just hoping, okay, this team kind of thrown together last minute. How will they perform? And yeah, they had a a mechanical issue, I think, for a race, but he was never that far off the pace. He basically was a nondescript driver, which is good, though, in that situation where you're kind of thrown into the fire right? and everything was pretty smooth. This year, we're seeing the growth with him, also with that team. And while they're not going to run a second entry for the Indy 500, it seems like they're also starting to get more partners for the team to to make an expansion possible next year. Well, and they're thinking long term, right? So it would have been very easy, easy to say, yeah, we're going to put a second car in the 500 and we have a paid driver coming in and, you know, we're going to stretch our resources a little bit just to make this happen. It could have very easily done that, but instead they stuck to their guns because I can tell you there probably was a lot of pressure on Hunko's. Maybe not direct pressure, but indirect pressure as being that 33rd. But they stuck to their guns and said, no, you know, we'll do it if we absolutely have to, but basically, please don't make us do it. And and it ended up working out for Hunko's with another team stepping up that we'll talk about later. But I, I feel like this is... You know, the slow and steady approach that is proven that we've seen out of out of Mike Shank and and other organizations and moving methodically in the direction of becoming a consistent contender and a full time team in the series. And now that the financial backing is there, and I'm not saying they're, you know, swimming in cash, but they're in a better financial position now than they ever were the first time around in IndyCar. So they're doing the right things, saying the right things. And, you know, these performances over the weekend, this is what sells. This is what sells sponsors going forward is, hey, we're a small team, we're a growing team, but look at us, started 11th and, and you know, wheeling it around and keeping it off the, the wall. Um, it, it's a lot of positivity right now for that team. And like you said, they thought they could qualify top 10. I mean, he thought he could run, you know, maybe make the fast six, but more likely seventh to start. And they were running seventh in the race, you know, for yeah. a while. So this is a, a great start for Ilot. And again, not the result, but this was definitely a breakout weekend for them. And I think everyone took notice and it's a, it's a good story. You'd want to see that result out of the weekend, right? Finishing 25th wasn't what they had in mind when they started 11th, but it was definitely a positive step forward for that team. What's your second takeaway? Let's talk about willpower. And usually when I bring willpower up, it's from something about negative and and all that, (laughs) but the approach that willpower is having, and and yet we're beaten over the head by NBC on the changes that willpower has made mentally 
in his driving performance in the offseason. And he's a guy that kind of just goes with the flow and takes what he can get. You know, when he qualified, what was it? 17th, 18th, 19th, 19th. I mean, the, the willpower of old, I don't think would be able to shake that off on Sunday, but he was able to go out there, right calls by the team. He made the right moves, was aggressive, but not too aggressive, ends up finishing fourth. And those are the, the weekends that win you championships. We talk so much about Scott Dixon, you know, the wins are good and they, and they help win the championship for sure. But it's those other weekends when you're able to salvage a top five or a top 10 when things aren't going your way. And those are really what puts you over the hump in championship contention. And, you know, the willpower of 2022, I think if we would have seen this transformation 10 years ago, who knows where willpower could be in terms of series championships. But it was an impressive drive for him to make up some some ground that, you know, he's used to not starting in 19th, particularly at a place like Barber. And uh, so... It was great to see Will be able to do what he did and handle himself in a way that, you know, has been evidenced over the course of the season that, you know, he's just, he's almost laid back. You know, he used to, you know, you yourself get anxious and, and nervous when you hear Will Power talk anytime, but now it's, uh, it's very much kind of, you know, laid back Will Power and it's working on the track. Yeah. It's been very surprising, but his worst finish of the year, you know, this tied it at fourth. I mean, he's having a championship caliber season so far and he doesn't even have a win yet. He doesn't have like the ultimate result and he's been, you know, outshined by his Penske teammates, new garden with two wins, McLaughlin with his first career win to open up the season. And obviously Alex blow has been hanging around every race. He's so consistent in his podium record since joining Ganassi. What is it now? Like 11 out of 20 or something. Not too bad. It's insane. Well, what he's done. And, and and I mentioned, you know, Alex Polo, he's always going to be known as Scott Dixon's teammate until Scott Dixon steps down. But the fact that, you know, he's outperforming just barely, but outperforming Scott Dixon head to head when those, those guys have been teammates. I mean, if he wins another championship this year, I mean, would you say that, Torch is officially passed. I, I feel like, and this is no knock on Scott Dixon, but he's reaching that point of his career where you're going to start seeing a downward trend in performance. I'm not saying he's there yet, but, and I think past using the term past his prime is a little bit unfair because people take it the wrong way, but his best years are behind him. And that's just the way it is. You know, I'm 39 years old. I know my best years are behind me in terms of being able to do things and and maybe as as athletic and active. But as a driver, upper 30s is, you know, you may as well be 75, right? You know, so you're going to see that drop off. You're you're reaching that point with Scott Dixon and you're seeing the ascension of what could be the face of that team for the next decade similar to what Scott has been the last 10 or 15 years for Ganassi. Yeah, and with Dixon, I mean, it's not a drop off. It's just a very incremental yeah. fade. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. We're not we're not seeing a, a cliff, right? It's you know, it's it's natural. You start getting to that age, and things start slipping. And while maybe he's not there yet, it's coming. And uh, Scott Dixon is a guy that's not going to hold on. He's not going to be Brett Favre out there, and obviously, you know, not the driver he used to be. Maybe one of his teammates, he can take uh, maybe some advice on that and see how his, uh, one of his teammates is performing. But he's not going to stick around. He's not going to 
uh, wear out his welcome in IndyCar. He's perfectly fine stepping away and spending time with his wife and kids the rest of the way. So Dixon will not hold on to anything if he knows he's slipping. But, you know, Alex Pillow is going to be that guy once Scott Dixon steps aside. And the way it's trending, maybe that happens before Scott Dixon calls it a career. And we talk about power and his poor qualifying performance. Scott Dixon also not great starting 13th. At least not great for him. That's great for a lot of drivers in the field. But, you know, how much of a, a shift that was for these guys. You look at their qualifying performance at Barber previously, and Scott Dixon had never missed a fast six before that. So it just it shows you how great that they have been. And then with Will Power, I think he'd started front row like eight of 11 times there or something. So, I mean, this is a huge shift for both of them. And yet, Will Power fourth, Scott Dixon fifth. Yeah, ho-hum. Same guys up front. Just a pretty standard weekend getting top fives. Yep. (laughs) Just doing their thing. That's how you win championships. I mean, wins put you in position, but how do you put get over the hump? It's those weekends like Will Power and Scott Dixon put together last week. And for Scott Dixon, his fifth place finish, 185th career top five. He's only nine behind Mario Andretti in the IndyCar all-time list. He's finished in the top five, 52.1% of his IndyCar starts. That's not bad. (laughs) No, not at all. Uh, That's that's an insane podium record for a driver. A little bit. Uh, Okay, my third takeaway, I'm going to go outside the box and talk about Chevrolet. Okay. Four for four on the season and wins. This that? is pretty dominant, and we haven't seen you know something like this from Chevy in quite some time. The last time they won four straight was 2017. Last time they won four straight races to open a season was 2016. Now in 2016, I believe Honda took, um, I think they took they swept the month of May if I'm not mistaken. Simon Pagenaud in 2016 for the GP, yeah. and then uh, Rossi for the 500. So. Yes, you know, things turned around, but this is a dominant performance by Chevy to open up the season. And he'll be my question for you is we're four for four for Chevy uh, out coming out of Barber. Do we enter June with Chevy still undefeated on the season? Will they be six for six leaving Indianapolis? I'm going to correct myself real fast. So, Pagano won the GP with Penske 2015 or 16 was his, I think second year with Penske year. He won the title. So that was Chevy. So Chevy took the first five before Honda won, but Honda only won two races in 2016, but that's in the aero kit manufacturer aero kit era. So things were a little different back then. A little bit, but you know, my question stands. Are we, do we sit six for six entering June or can Honda, get a dub here, either the GP or the 500. I think Honda gets a win before Detroit. Do you think it comes from Team Ganassi? No. Really? No, because they were really strong last year in qualifying IMS, but on race day outside of Palo. Well, I'm saying the 500 or the GP. Um, Because who else is winning a race for Honda right now? Andretti? Yeah, I mean, Grosjean should be really strong at the Indy GP again as well. Right where he won the pole and finished second last year. Yeah, I agree. I'm just wondering, you know, so you feel Honda gets at least a win probably at the GP, you're thinking? Eh, I'm thinking... Or some, some. I'm thinking the 500. Yeah. But I, I don't know who, but I'm thinking the 500. 
I think with a GP, like this is a Penske dominated race. And while Grosjean had success last year at that track, I think, you know, I would not be surprised if Penske returns a victory lane for that event. Right. Yeah, I would agree. But it's a great start for Chevy. It helps to have Team Penske in your corner, whichever OEM you are. And now with McLaren getting a win for Chevy, perfect four for four. But we'll see how far the streak can go. Can it continue into June? We'll see. All right. Your third takeaway. Well, let's talk. And I think it's probably been you know one of the hottest topics of the week coming out of Sunday is the driving of Romain Grosjean. In, in particular, the contact, you know, twice contact with Graham Rahal, but Rahal making some comments after the race, basically insinuating that he isn't the only driver that is growing tired of Romain Grosjean's driving style. Romain Grosjean, for anything, is not a guy that's going to seek anybody out to apologize or to take responsibility for his actions, right or wrong. So I think that can we all know people like that, right? That can, you know, great on you in itself, but it's, it's an interesting debate for Romain Grosjean because he is obviously a guy that's going to be very aggressive on track. I haven't seen him make a move that has put another driver in danger necessarily intentionally, but kind of wanted to get your thought and, and we put a, we put a poll question up on Twitter is, is Caleb, what do you feel about Romain Grosjean. Let's say he's racing guys different than the other 25 racers do in the series. Is that a problem? No, because race control didn't see it as a problem. Look, what he did with Graham Rahal, yeah, that was out of line. However, wasn't against rules. Yeah, they, by IndyCar yeah, standards. They, they didn't penalize it. And the first contact, I think we all can agree, was totally fine. Right. The second contact where it clearly does look like he turned into Graham exiting right. the the corner, the turn, that was where the what we figured would be a penalty yeah. and was not but it, you know, where that occurred. It didn't create anything crazy. No. It was probably sending a message, if anything. Um it was side by side racing. Now had Graham spun out. That would have been a penalty. That probably. would have been a penalty yeah. because Grosjean, his right front was closer to Graham's left rear tire. Right. Yes. It's always a penalty. Right. Yeah. You know, it was difficult. It's difficult to pass at Barber. So, you know, bumping to gain position, you know, I don't think is, is, is bad by any means. And, you know, what are we always talking about with IndyCar is, you know, lack of personalities or their lack of drama the lack of, of rivalries, maybe genuine rivalries. Romain Grosjean seemingly giving us that, you know, whether people are going to speak out like Graham Ray Hall or behind the scenes is some drivers aren't happy with how Romain Grosjean drives. What's the problem? I don't understand if we're all assimilated and all 26 drivers have the same respect and drive the same and, and same unwritten rules, then it lacks any type of, of excitement in terms of building rivalries and building drama on track. If Roman Grosjean is going to fill that role, then that's something that IndyCar has been missing. Hashtag any rivals. It's back. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> but you know, people tried to make Alexander Rossi like the villain, I think in recent years, which I thought was kind of a joke because I think he has 
way too big of a fan following uh, among IndyCar fans. And I don't think he's really a villain. I think he's just, you know, he just goes about his business. Right. Doesn't, doesn't really care. Whereas Grosjean, like you said, he has a very aggressive driving style. I think he could turn into that villain because he's a popular driver uh, from a lot of the, the F1 crowd that, you know, converted to IndyCar and welcome aboard. We're glad you're here. And Grosjean, you know, views driving differently. Look, drivers in F1 had issues with him too. This is not like yeah. a like a secret or a new thing. And in F1, the racing style is different because you can't bang, you know, your car side by side. It's not possible. Any car you can. How the, the difference in F1 is guys weave all across the track blocking to try to prevent someone from getting by. Right. You can't get away with that in any car. It's a lot more difficult and they will penalize you. And I think the thing is, too, is when you look at Romain Grosjean, is we we hear so much about how robust these cars are and how much they can handle contact, yet when there is contact, people have problems with it. And I'm not saying Romain Grosjean needs to go out there at the Indianapolis 500 and bump guys like that. You know, that's dangerous, right? But in a, a slow corner, when you're trying to make a move and you're coming out of the apex and you bump and then you also want to send a little bit of a, a message, I don't understand what the problem is there you know sometimes having a a guy in a in a series that is going to be kind of a jerk helps you out like look at kyle bush a lot of people think kyle (laughs) bush is a jerk but But he also has a huge fan base yeah huge fan base like um very outspoken it it adds drama and bush himself probably enhances it with yeah, his reactions. He owns it. Yeah, yeah, and he I think he fuels it intentionally. He at he times. likes he likes the attention and I think he likes being the villain. Yeah, and look, look Romain Grosjean, you you mentioned it earlier. He's he's the fan favorite. He is the most popular driver in IndyCar. So why should Romain Grosjean change who he is and align with everybody else and become assimilated like everybody else and here's the rules we have and you don't do this and you don't do this when he's the most popular driver on the circuit? He just needs to still be himself. I don't think Romain Grosjean is purposely going out there trying to be someone he isn't to prove a point or gain fans. He is who he is. He has yet to do anything on track to say that was intentionally dangerous. He shouldn't do that. And I I understand Graham Murray Hall's frustrations because it was done to him. But my opinion, it was no harm, no foul. It was sending a little bit of a message. And you know what? The, The drivers always say, you know, what goes around comes around. Then prove it. The next time you have a chance to put Romain Grosjean and do something, then do it. That's good for the series, in my opinion, as long as you're not putting somebody in serious danger. Yeah, no, my whole takeaway from all of this is because they didn't penalize the second contact that Race Control deemed that was just racing. My takeaway is, after this, if I'm Graham, like you said, if I have the same opportunity, you know, you can say, well, if he can do that, I can do this. Yeah. And... And like you said, not to be egregious and to be malicious about it, but if you're battling for position, the opportunity arises, take advantage of it, because if they're going to let the boys and girls race, if you will, then that should be your strategy. Now, you test that out and say they call a penalty, then we have issues. Right. Yeah. But as of right now, it's opened the door. It's opened the window for that to happen. Yeah, look, if you want to put a tire, if you want to put a front tire on somebody's side pod like we saw and just kind of bump them a little bit and let them know you're there, I don't see the issue. You know, you're not touching wheels at 200 mile an hour. You're not coming up behind somebody and spinning them out. That's a different story. But if you want to send a message uh, when you're fighting somebody on track, 
that, hey, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere and this is how I'm going to race you, and it's not a penalty, then I don't see a problem with it. And I feel like hopefully we see more of this. Like you said, Caleb, I would love to see, you know, uh, on road and street courses, guys beating and banging. I, I know some people are going to roll their eyes and go, we're, we're not NASCAR. You're not NASCAR, but you also, if those cars are as robust as they like to say they are, they can handle a little bumping. And I, I feel like it, it helps the show. It helps these these drivers develop some sort of rivalry or storyline that isn't kumbaya. Everybody loves everybody and everything's great because we know, obviously that's not the case, but I think they hide a lot of it, but some open, I want to say hostility, but some open, you know, maybe, you know, two, two guys or two team, you know, maybe button heads or whatever. I, I think it's good for the series. You know, you keep talking about drive to survive series and, and IndyCar needs one. It's not going to sell if it doesn't have drama and driver versus driver drama definitely helps out. We see a lot of it in drive to survive only usually it's teammates between the two, but you know, that's what you need if you're going to try to sell some sort of streaming show. Well, uh, look at this. Pato Ward gets his third career win. It was a great win. But what are we talking about after Barber? We're talking about Romain Grosjean and Graham Rahal's contact with a few laps remaining and the fallout and should they change the rules? Should they not? Was it a penalty? Was it not? You know, what to expect, how drivers should react moving forward. That's the discussion here, right? This This is what sells. This is what people, you know, want to debate. This is what people want to see because it, it brings your interest. It's intriguing. Yeah. It's entertaining. We talk how the Foyt slap is still brought up, right? The double birds from Will Power is still brought up. You know, we all remember the video of of Danica walking up pit road looking for Dan Weldon, right? I mean, those are in, infused in our memory. Those, do you want it every week? Actually, I wouldn't mind it. I don't want fisticuffs every week, but if I get drama, you know, that's really going to help the series, in my opinion. You know, fortunately, unfortunately, you get on Sports Center with a big crash or a fight or drama of some sort. And, you know, maybe that's where the position that, that IndyCar is in. So don't, don't deflate that. Don't tell them, Hey, you know, we all got to get along guys, you know, all that stuff. It's just, it makes for vanilla storylines. Also, we're not advocating for like a NASCAR where you have guys basically dumping guys on the final lap and pushing out of the way. That's not what we're advocating for. To be clear, we're advocating for just more hard, close racing. Right. That's and, it. You know, stock car racing is different, folks. You 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 do that stuff. You see it on Friday nights at the dirt track and super modifieds and, and all that stuff. And that's what you do. It's beating and banging. And those guys grew up doing that. And open wheel racing is different because you can't really do that. But But you can do it a lot more than you used to. Absolutely. And we shouldn't shut it down and 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 throw shade at, at people who are doing it particularly if there was no penalty there was no spinning there was no loss of position nothing it was just a nudge and it's amazing how far we've gotten in talking about this with just a nudge imagine if it was something bigger you know but considering how much discussion it's getting on both sides of the fence you know these things are good for IndyCar most definitely a couple of final thoughts and notes on Barber, the race this year, 121 passes for position, according to Trackside Online, 105% more than last year's race at Barber. Busiest driver, (laughs) Roman Grosjean, 20 passes. So I thought the midfield battles made this race a lot better because the 
the race at the front, obviously outside of, you know, pit exits, uh, not that entertaining. You look at the TV rating, definitely disappointing. Not good. 0.59, 920,000 viewers. And look at that. Like we talk Flat about from last year though. Yeah. Well, it also at, got a 0.59, 921,000 viewers last year. And look at what we talk. Um, when we do, when we think, oh man, we're going against this or you got the masters and a, there, there was not much going on on Sunday. No. No, there really uh, wasn't. There was, you know, the cup race was rain delayed. And NBA playoffs, which I don't know how big the crossover yeah. is IndyCar fan to NBA playoffs. Right. Probably something, but. Not much. But, you know, the point is there was no big golf tournament. There was no, you know, other than the NBA, it wasn't any of that. Baseball, whatever. Hockey, whatever. But there was just no, you know, no Formula One, even though it doesn't, you know, often, you know, kind of go against each other. But. There's no rhyme or reason to the TV rating. I think you anticipate big numbers and we have low and vice versa, but it was not a good number. Anything to me below $1 million, $1 million, one million <laughs> viewers on network is not good. Yes, I would agree. Hopefully it'll be up a lot more for May because uh, I think that's that's where all the money's made, right? Well, you, yeah. You, you got to have good ratings in the month of May. The GP should be up a lot higher. I I, I hope really don't anticipate qualifying be that big of a big. It of a usually draws a million or but so. I mean, that's what's bumping. Like I don't. I yeah. mean, so but, I mean, I'm gonna watch, but am I glued to the TV for or stream for six hours a day? No, I'm not gonna do that. So, uh, and you, you just hope that the GP and the 500 are up. Hopefully, this wasn't an intro into uh, the month of May, and this trend continues. Average age of the podium 22.7 with Pato Award. Alex Pillow and Renus VK. And then uh, shout out on the road to Indy, Jagger Jones, grandson of Parnelli Jones, got his first USF 2000 win. And Miles Rowe got his first pole in USF 2000 and another win. So hopefully... Get that kid some money. Yeah. He needs sponsors, so he has a GoFundMe. You can check out and support him. Would love to see him race for the GP weekend. And it would be a shame... If he's not participating, because he's won what two races two this races year? This year, yeah, and, and he won a race last year. Also has a pole this year, and I think he's leading the point standings, if not close. So, um, a reasonably exciting Indy Lights race coming yes. down to the final turn. So that was good to see. Watch that coming home from Florida on what was I driving on Monday? So I was able to enjoy that in the car. Decent race. So overall, you know, a pretty entertaining weekend. The rain didn't really play as much of a factor for IndyCar as I think we expected. So with that, we move on to some driver news. And Stefan Wilson finally confirmed, and I'm excited to see how the name is entered on the entry list because it'll be Stefan Wilson driving the number 25 Cusick Motorsports with Dragon Speed with AJ Foyt Racing, you know, (laughs) Lola Sports. Yeah, it'll be a lot. Just use that. <laughs> uh, come up with an acronym of some sort. It'll be like the uh, the classic Marco Andretti with Curb, Agajani, and Andretti Autosport, however many acronyms there right. were with that. But uh, Stefan Wilson, the 33rd driver, this is not a surprise. Now, Dragon Speed being a partner, that's a bit of a surprise. Well, as, all of a sudden, like, you know, when did they exit the sport? Three years uh, ago? After 2020, they sold so, their yeah, it's stuff. not that much. It's only been two years. So, you know, for... It'd be a fascinating story. I'm sure somebody will do it to talk to, uh, to Julian is, you know, when they exited IndyCar, 
they sold all their stuff and it was basically like, we're going to focus on sports cars. It's our bread and butter right now. And I understood that. And they left the door open to return to IndyCar, but I didn't feel like it was going to be, you know, two years from now. Yet no. here we are, Dragon Speed back in the series, at least in, in this capacity. But it sounds like something they definitely want to build on. So Elton Julian, this according to Marshall Prude of Racer.com. Elton Julian um, called Jay Fry. Uh, to basically say, hey, we want to return to the series. Don Cusick, Stefan Wilson, they're continuing their search to get another Indy 500 entry like they did last year in partnering with Andretti. And then they struck a deal. Dragon Speed will have the, the crew, the sports car crew, same crew that uh, helped Ben Hanley at the Indy 500 in 2019 and 2020. Also a couple other races. And they'll have Will Phillips, the engineer, with this ride and then AJ Foyt providing uh, racing, providing equipment and a chassis. So everything came together. And while Hunkos was seemed to be kind of the, a team that would step up, like you said earlier and do it turns out that Foyt provided a chassis and, you know, crew guys that, that seems to be the issue, right? I mean, yes, yes you have to have a chassis and these partner teams have learned that you need to have a chassis in fact, Marshall Pruitt talked about that in, in the mailbag this week on racer.com. Um, Cusick and Peretta plan to uh, buy a chassis. Also, Dragon Speed keen to buy a chassis after selling theirs to Shank ahead of 2021. And again, that's the chassis that Elio won the, the 500. And Vassar Sullivan, they have owned a Speedway, a DW12, for a, a couple of years. Marshall says, I'm told it's still the coin shop. More than a few people inquired about leasing it, but all were politely turned down. But that's kind of the update there. So these teams got to get their own chassis because that seems to be along with crew and to a lesser extent, engine leases. Chevy basically didn't, or excuse me, Honda didn't make that 18th engine lease available. That was another part of the issue. But we have 33. We have a full field. Some said it wouldn't happen. Some I never doubted. said that. Neither of us said that. No. I, I think it was, they're never not going to have 33 unless, you know, they're fighting for three or four different entries. You know what I mean? Like if they're close, they're going to get it happen. And, you know, who knows how much IndyCar facilitated it. Maybe they got everybody together or maybe everybody was able to figure that out on their own. But a lot of uh, moving parts in this equation and they finally got everything lined up and Stefan Wilson ready to go. And hopefully a much better result this year for him and the team. What happened last year with that early crash spinning on pit lane, the first um, end of the first stint, uh, finishing 33rd. It will be interesting to see, you know, how speedway ready is this entry? Um, You know, how are the pit stops? All those little things you think about definitely at play. You're not partnering with Andretti like they did last year. So it's, it's a last minute entry. So you kind of wonder how far behind they are, or maybe behind the scenes, this work has been going on for a while. They're just waiting for the right time to announce it. Well, the good thing is they don't have to worry about not making the show. And I think that's the most important thing for all 33 of these entries. And some of these patchwork entries, you know, you're always like, man, if they don't make it, does this kill all sorts of momentum for them going forward to have a greater presence in this, in the series, you're not going to worry about, that this year and I think to a certain extent it's probably easier for some of those low-end teams to, to get sponsorship on board when you can meet with them and say hey 
We're start. We're going to start the Indianapolis Five Hundred. We're going to be on the grid. We don't have to worry about that. It's a hundred percent. Yes. So next we get to silly season news for twenty twenty three because that seems to continue to be a thing. Nathan Brown of the Indy Star reporting uh, says source Kyle Kirkwood headed to Andretti in twenty twenty three after rookie IndyCar season with Voight. This is not a surprise. There's always been the rumor that Michael Andretti held an option uh, on Kirkwood's contract and basically they didn't have the ability to place him in an Andretti seat when the Colton Herta deal to Alfa Romeo and, and Andretti buying, you know, becoming the owner of Alfa Romeo when that fell through. So Kirkwood had no, you're nowhere to go. He goes to Foyt and kind of mixed results, but he's had flashes of talent. Not that it's surprising for a rookie to be up and down on the season. And now no confirmation from any of the powers that be, but this all seems like an obvious switch of Rossi going to Aero McLaren and Kirkwood stepping into the number 27 car. And who knows when this deal was made? It could have been Bob. You know, before the season, could it have already been laid out that this is how it's going to work? You're going to go to Foyt for a year, and then you're coming to us in 2023. There was insinuations before the season, even when this deal was announced for AJ Foyt, that that was the deal. So whether it's it's been set for a while and it's just now becoming official, quote unquote official, or it was just recently made, I feel like this is all pretty expected. And when we talk silly season 2023 the first two at least confirmed or semi-confirmed moves that we know of have both been expected for quite some time. Yes, and Hurt is under contract, Devlin Francesco, Roman Grosjean under contract, and Andretti. We don't think they're running five full-time cars. I don't think they've ever done that. And this would just have Kirkwood slot into Rossi's seat assuming that Rossi's gone, which again, we, we all expect. So this was expected, but to see news like this already kind of leak out before the 500 is surprising. It's silly season for next year. Almost seems like it'll be wrapped up by like August 1st. It's becoming more like Formula One in that the silly season almost starts before the season before. Uh, and we're not there to that to that point yet, but I think we're, we're seeing maybe a trend in the direction that, you know, the sooner... And there's a what? There's a drop dead date right on before you can officially sign or whatever that is. That doesn't mean there's not discussions behind the scenes and in the paddock and between you know team or and you know agent, but off the record, off the book. You know all this stuff happens, right? So who knows? I mean, could we be sitting here with already a couple handshake deals for next year without us being aware yet? So definitely some more moves to come before the start of next season. Brown saying that Kirkwood has had a deal in place with Andretti Autosport for a while, according to multiple series sources. Yeah. So So, I think this has been, it's, it's been obvious there was going to be a seat open at Andretti. I think Michael knew it, whether that was Rossi probably assumed that was what's going to be based on their negotiations or lack thereof. So all this is, I think lining up according to plan for all involved. So good uh, good for Kirkwood to eventually, one, we were worried he wouldn't even get a full-time seat for this year, and now he's going to be back at Andretti, the team that we thought kind of left him in the dust going into the season, and 
it looks like everything's going to work out. And I mean, just looking ahead, uh, just a top three of Herda, Grosjean, Kirkwood would make me pretty excited if I'm an Andretti Autosport fan. Especially with the, you know, an older, yes, he's not like highly experienced in IndyCar yet, but the talent's already there. He's capable of winning races in Grosjean. Obviously, Herta, one of the top drivers in the series. And then you you throw in Kirkwood, another young driver with a lot of talent. You'll have a, a team that can be set up pretty strong for the next few years. He's helped bring some respectability to AJ Foyt Racing, and I don't think we can discount his impact on that because plenty of other good drivers have crashed and burned at AJ Foyt Racing. We'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements like uh, we had last week with our t-shirts available, and you can buy those on the store page at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. If you want to get yours before the Indy 500, though, you better hurry up. May 7th is the uh, last day to, to order so that it arrives in time for the Indy 500 due to uh, shipping. And also we have a Patreon page. So you can uh, go there. Patreon.com slash new track record is the page and shout out to our patrons, Cole and Rob for uh, joining us at patreon.com slash new track record. And you can check out all the perks there as well. And you can find us on social media on Facebook, like us, just search for new track record on Twitter. Our handle is any car podcast. You can also Email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts, or wherever you follow your podcasts all for free. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag. And as always, plenty to discuss this week. And going, going back to... Um, your civil war stuff, Jeff, uh, Cerneski on Twitter said, heard you were at the battlefield. I live about 20 minutes from there. A great place to learn about civil war history. So that was outside Chattanooga, right? Yes. At Chickamauga battlefield. And, uh, unfortunately I didn't have the timing didn't work out on my way back to stop there, but great place to, to visit for an hour and a half or so. And nice to know we have some listeners in the area. This from NK Harden says, Okay, Justin, you've been arguing for two years that if 34 or 35 cars showed up to qualify, they should all get to start. Now you're saying they need bumping. You've got to pick <laughs> one. You can't complain about argue for both. <laughs> I, I've never said that 35 should start. 34 is the number. If you have 34, you should start them all. Anything above 34, 35 and above, you 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 uh, you bump. So that that has been my firm stance. Yes, you need bumping. 34, in my opinion, doesn't constitute bumping. I wasn't looking at it this year as, man, they have to get to 34 to bump. I would just start them all. But I know, I don't know if I'm in the minority or not. I don't even know if that would be a consideration for IndyCar. I just feel like if you have everybody but one starting, you may as well just start them all. All right. Rate the race for Higpa at Barber. What would you give it? I gave it a six. I'm going to give it a seven. Really? I thought the action, you know, battling for the latter half of the top 10 spots thought there was a lot of action back there that kept me entertained. First half of the race, I think, blew by. Yeah. And you had good racing on track. I get that it wasn't necessarily always at the front, but I thought it was pretty solid. 
especially for a race that we thought, you know, going into the weekend could be impacted by rain, which could bring utter chaos. I thought it was decent. I mean, this is a race that's never really rated that well on TV. And it's a race that outside of 2016 has never been like the most entertaining road course race, but I thought it was decent. Well, and it's got a, a, a crap ton of people that go to the race, which is the most important thing, at least for the track. I always kind of play a game when I watch Barber is what happens first, a through the field or talking about how amazing the museum is. And this year, by a substantial margin, the museum won. I don't think we had it through the field till late in the race. Yes. And the museum is awesome. I can I can agree with that. Yes. It's what the uh, IMS museum, you know, should be, be as far as size and scale. When do you think that happened? Mean, you're just going way, way off topic. Well, we know that at some point there is going to be either a major reconstruction or a from scratch build of a new uh, museum at IMS. When do you think that'll happen? Um, man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the problem is because it's not owned by IndyCar, correct? Or the, or the track, right? Well, I, I think that may have changed when okay. Penske Entertainment bought it. I'm, Maybe. I'm not sure though, but. I feel like we always talk about um, how potentially great it could be, but just never can deliver. But you know, I know it's a big investment to do that, but with the amount of artifacts and stuff that they have without room to display, and then you can talk about interactive stuff and all that. I mean, I think that's, it would be definitely, you know, something to behold if you can do something on the scale of Barber Motorsports Park Museum at Indianapolis. Continuing on it with uh, Rate the Race, Jamin T14, solid 7.5. IndyCars had a good run of races with some exciting late race battles through the field. Uh, DC Soda gave it an 8. Some good action at the front toward the end. Some strategy changes and Herta carving up the field kept the middle entertaining. Yeah, forgot about that. That and the, the heel heat for Grosjean made it a fun afternoon of racing. Vicky Lynn 26 gave it a 6. Was more exciting watching from various in-car cameras on the app and the broadcast. Rain would have made it more interesting for sure. According to Stitch, just a six, although Herta moving up through the field was fun to watch. Yeah, we we really didn't talk we a lot didn't, about yeah. that because ultimately what looked like a fifth or sixth when he spun late battling with one of his teammates um, dropped him back to, what, 10th? And I think he, yeah, he finished 10th. Uh, Pagano at 11th. But uh, according to Stitch, gave it a six. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 gave it a seven. Good race. And like someone else pointed out to... Uh, an on-track, uh, an on-track pass for the lead. Herta was a show coming through the field. Grosjean pinched Herta to the front straight wall and beat on Ray Hall, so he might be getting some paybacks. Yeah, it's it's never good when you race your teammate that hard. Yeah, you. That's the concern. Sure, and Brad, that's that's going to be a discussion if it needs to be had within the team. Most definitely. In captain one eighty five gave it a six. Pretty meh race. Not a ton of passing. Arrow looks solid. Good to see Rossi up in top ten. Roman is the new Sato. Got the feeling Graham isn't the only one who dislikes him. Now it's time for the greatest spectacle in racing. I am analog. Gave it a six and a half. Felt a little boring, but was at least entertaining. I saw the post uh, showing the huge line of storms in the morning. I was a bit excited since I don't believe I've seen a wet any car race yet. Side note, what's well, a good w- wet race to watch? 
Indy GP 2019. Oh, not NOLA. <laughs> NOLA's the worst wet race to watch. Yeah, 2019. Was it 2019? Yes. Indy GP? Yes, definitely. That is that is the one to watch. It was not a full wet race, but it was entertaining. Which almost makes it more intriguing, because that's kind of where the Indy Lights race was on Sunday, because it started earlier in the day when it was still wet, and the debate on when you went to slicks, and I don't think anybody ever did in the Lights race. It was just too wet. But one of those start in the wet and it gets dry races, I think, to me, are the most fascinating because you don't want to be too early putting on the slicks and you definitely don't want to be too late. It's finding that sweet spot and making it work. And I think in terms of strategy, it's one of the most exciting storylines when it happens in in auto racing. R. Cole gave it a six. A decent race to have in the background while I did work. Autosport Lab gave it a seven. Normal, not boring race with passes, strategy, bold moves, not great, but not terrible. Hunter J. Smith, 03, gave it a nine. Barbara's beautiful, great event and located in an amazing spot, way closer to Birmingham than Talladega. I really think about that as, at least yeah. as far as drawing a crowd. Uh, Human Spectre 1 gave it a seven and a half, was surprised with the amount of passing of seeing these new rivalries. LOL, on track pass for the lead, and the different strategies made it very interesting. I so, like- all in all, uh, plus, well, a couple more, six and a half from NK Harden, not much passing, only one for the lead could have benefited from a couple more yellows. And I wish it would have stayed a wet race. Uh, Daguerre gave it a four pretty dull and processional. Another caution could have spiced up the last half of the race. A few more, uh, Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a six outside of a couple of brave passes. It was a parade, just an awful track for Indy cars. When did the whole Augusta racing thing start for the track? It was dumb. I don't care about the landscaping of the track. I want good racing, and it's usually lousy at Barber. <laughs> wow. Bold. Man, but uh, it's a successful event. And, and Yes. You know, there are very few in IndyCar finding that sweet spot of successful events with great racing, right? And so you're either going to get one or the other in a lot of different places, and Barber is great event in terms of attendance, in terms of what it does for IndyCar. It's a good place for them to go. Not every race is going to deliver. I get that. And Barber, more often than not, fails to deliver that drama. But people are still showing up, right, in droves to the fact that they had to stop selling tickets because they ran out of parking. So to that, it's a success. Yes. And it's established and probably in the top five of established events on the schedule. Definitely. So, you know, you can't have a series without venues that are financially stable and making money off IndyCar races, and Barber is one of those. Cole, the show, Bear, six and a half. Seemed really hard to pass under green. Seemed like dirty air was a huge problem. Would have been better without the 77 spinning. That was lot spinning late. Um, let's see. I think there was a couple more. Jeremy from HBG, I'm going to give it a three, but I would have to explain myself with a rant. Is that okay, or will, will Legends be upset? <laughs> no, he did go on uh, He went on a rant, and to sum it up, because we're not going to read every little post. But to sum it up, Peacock spoiled. He couldn't watch live. And, and Peacock, he went to turn it on. And, well, who they have on the Peacock page. But Pato Awards. So he knew who won the race. And look, I understand because that's kind of bitten me a couple times as well. And, and I don't know if uh, he was the same one that wrote into the, to the mailbag that Marshall Pruitt responded. The exact same issue is I understand that. And, you know, the the push notifications too on your phone can kind of give away stuff and i totally get it but at the same time you have to understand what you're dealing with right so 
the you know the peacock especially sports they're there to present events and news live events live events and and all that stuff and you know i almost like kind of will look at my phone or whatever and kind of glaze over my eyes because i kind of know where i'm going but it, it can be very difficult i i understand the frustrations but at the same time you know they want you to watch live right you know so yeah um you know unfortunately i don't see that changing anytime soon but i've been bitten by that very same thing all right you posted this poll uh which finish at barber surprised you the most 54 percent said new garden in 14th 36 percent power in fourth vk in third 10 percent no one voted other but yet um we have a lot of replies (laughs) Uh, and one of them for another. Uh, so here we go. DC Soda says, I think given Power's performance, it's New Garden. Surprised he wasn't able to get up there as well. Jamin T14 also agrees uh, with New Garden. Says definitely New Garden. Good thing he's won twice, so it doesn't impact the points too badly. I'll wait for your thoughts. Yeah, we, we don't Wait care. a month. We don't care about the points yet. We're almost there. Yes. Autosport Lab says, we all expected Dixon, Power, Pajon, and especially New Garden to shine at Barber. Do their past performances there, but we got the top three of Young Guns. It's true. Yep. Tr- true. I don't think that was expected. Poet Shevchenko says definitely New Garden. Million Buckaroos will have to come another day. Um, Let's see. Human Spectre wants his great drive from power. Never expected him to work his way that far up. The mindset that he has brought into the year is such an improvement for his performances. Yeah, we touched on that earlier. And Brandon Fogel on Twitter, it's Bra Fog. <laughs> Grosjean finishing in seventh because he wasn't penalized for the contact with Ray Hall. Yeah. The precedent has been set, so you can do that. That is true. At at the very least, and drivers have said this multiple times, consistency out of uh, the the rule maker. So if that's not a call now, then it shouldn't be a call to GP, right? Correct. You have to be consistent in the rules, and we'll see if that actually plays out that way. Okay, I posted a poll on the Indy 500 milk preference, and I'm going to read off the results of the drivers first Okay, from the Indiana Dairy Association. So of 32 drivers polled, because they didn't have Stefan Wilson's preference yet, 25 said whole milk, 6 said 2%, 0 fat-free, 1 no preference, and a lot of people said cold. A few even said, you know, buttermilk, that being Ed Carpenter, who always writes in, you know, buttermilk. Also... Felix Rosenquist said buttermilk as well on the comments. I can't imagine in a hot day, let's say it's going to be hot and you win the Indianapolis 500. This is probably surely the last thing in your mind, but just being handed a glass of whole milk to me, man, that'd be rough. I'm taking 2%. That's me. (laughs) I would take whole. I drink 2% when I have milk, like with cereal or whatever, but I would take the whole. Really? Yeah. If it's cold, I would take the hole. I'm just worried. Two percent <laughs> or one percent for me. I, skims water. So yes, skims water, I agree. So. Not skim. Yeah. Or fat free as it's been rebranded. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yes. You know, fat to try to try to sell hide it. Hide the fat. Yeah, because <laughs> it's got the negative connotation with yeah. skim milk, but uh, no coconut milk. At least not yet. No. True. So the uh, the list is out on our our poll. 38% said whole, 33%, 2%, 12% fat-free, 17% said buttermilk, you know, if it were an option. Right. And on their replies, Daniel SEM 2004 said skimmer chocolate, 
Jeremy from HBG said chocolate. Um, let's see who else. Bra Fog on Twitter said, I agree with buttermilk for the traditional take, but to make it modern with the addition of strawberry uh, Nesquik. <laughs> <laughs> there is kind of good stuff. I remember drinking that. That was good back in the day. NK Harden says, I don't know if I could stomach buttermilk, but if you win the greatest race in history, you have to honor the godfather, Louis Meyer, and go for it. Right. I think, you know, if you've won the Indianapolis 500, the last thing on your mind is how's this milk going to taste? I mean, you could hand them milk directly from a cow and I don't think they're going to care. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you would just go all in with whatever they handed you within reason. Right. In that situation. Yep. I mean, you're only taking nowadays, you're only taking a couple sips anyway and then dumping the rest over your head. So couple of comments on the Kirkwood news. Daniel SEM 2004 says, feels like most seats will be spoken for early this year, earlier than last year. And last year was early. Yep. Hunter's Way 67, placing Rossi in the 27, no doubt. Looks like I've got a new favorite driver. And then Scuba Steve 85 says, it's amazing how many people in the comments seem to be surprised by this news. I assumed it was well known as tenure at Floyd was a short-term loan from Andretti. That's uh kind of the way we always viewed it as long as the seat would provide itself. I was almost, I caught myself having to think I thought that was already announced or even I assumed it was common knowledge that that was how it was going to work. All right. You post this poll. Grosjean's driving style in IndyCar. 69% love it. Nice. 31% hate it. A lot of comments on this. Not a surprise. Vicky Lynn, 26, couldn't vote because it's a little bit of both. He pulled off some daring passes last season with some contact, but it's coming off as a little too aggressive so far this season, too early to tell. I voted uh, love it for the record. Me too. Because as long as it's not way over the line, which I don't think what he did on Sunday at Barber was way over the line. I think first contact, incidental, no big deal. Second one, definitely questionable, but... They didn't penalize it, so we move right. forward. I don't see what he did as dirty, and that would be my connotation. You know, that was how I would judge it. Was it dirty? No. If he had spun him, if he had, you know, run up the yeah. back of him, you know, yeah, there's different things that are dirty, right? I just feel like that's, you know, tough racing and maybe, you know, sending a message then and, and going forward, and that's just how – you know, different drivers drive different ways. You know, not all 26 drivers are going to drive the same. I, I don't see a problem with it. This from Poet Shevchenko. Accidentally ordered a quinoa burger from a restaurant last night. Needless to say, it was severely disappointing. The Grosjean has shown he can supply real USDA prime beef. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, Daniel SEM 2004 says, need drivers to be more aggressive. There are too many in the paddock. They want everyone to hold hands and be happy neighbors. Agreed. The car needs some heels to generate interest getting its most popular driver into some engagements, then interest will improve. People like drama. That's why yes. people watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and all this, all these reality shows. And that's why people were watching DTS is, you know, people didn't start watching because they were interested in the auto race and they were interested in the rivalries and the technology and the, the, the drama, basically. That's what sucked a lot of people in. And IndyCar doesn't have it. And when they have some hint of it, a certain part of the fan base shoots it down and doesn't want it, or a certain part of the paddock shoots it down and doesn't want it. You know, you can't have everybody be the same and expect people outside the sport to get excited for it. 500 Indy 1911 on Twitter says, you mean this hot? And it's a gif of him 
slamming into his Haas pit crew during his F1 days. Which I feel like you could find a GIF of that for every driver at one yes. time or another has uh, cooked it a little bit going into the pits. Silent Spades double zero. His driving style isn't the problem. It's his attitude about it as if he can do no wrong. That that I can't disagree with. Well, yeah, and to be honest, I mean, the majority of the, the race car drivers, I feel, are like that. Um, True. That's part of being I mean, a race That was car kind driver. of the big thing that I had a problem with with Will Power for the majority of his career is he just never, it was never his fault anytime, ever. And sometimes people, not just auto drivers, they know they're wrong, but they have a very difficult time apologizing for it or confronting that or admitting they're wrong. Right. So I think that's two different things is, you know, thinking they do no wrong and not being have the ability to take responsibility. And, you know, I feel like that's a a trait that you could you could pass along with a lot of different drivers. You know, I never heard Dale Sr. apologize or anything he never did. You know what I mean? (laughs) True. Um, You know, Richard Petty, I've never seen anything he's apologized for. So, you know, I, I think it goes with the territory in a lot of instances. This from N.K. Harden. Other, I guess, he's aggressive, and what he did to Ray Hall was ridiculous, but I think I like a little more aggressive driving in IndyCar. F1 is too polite. NASCAR is too much like a kid's go-kart track. IndyCar can find a place in between, and Mike Jarrett 33 says, great comparison, NASCAR like a kid's go-kart track. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a line that you don't want to cross, both due to the danger because of open wheels and also because that's not the the racing we want to see, but at the same time, you, you... you want some beating and banging, I think, particularly at these road and street courses where you're not going 200, 220 mile an hour. All right. Last note on the mailbag. This from go blue Z six. Really enjoyed the last episode. My two cents, the gimmicky formatting for pull day reeks of TV influence. Lack of a real happy hour hurts. Move close to 7 PM. If you have to keep the fast, whatever, no more one run instead get as many runs as possible from five to 7 PM. I don't hate that. I mean, yeah. The 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 best memories for me is the frenetic pace as you approach the time where the gun's going to go off, right? Where everybody's scrambling and you want to be in line, but you may pull it based on another drive. Like that's the drama. That's pure drama for me um, that I remember in the quote unquote heyday of of the Indianapolis 500 since I've been alive. And you know, unfortunately, we're not going to have that this year, but trying to adopt that even for the 33 i think could be uh, add some hype i think all right that wraps up the mailbag time for news and notes and a few little things here and there to get to first off marshall pruitt uh, while we've been recorded has posted a silly season update and with that kyle kirkwood to andretti one of the entries in there so he's also going that route um other notes in this article I mean, nothing's really a huge surprise. The hot rumor circulating at Barber involved Rossi and the timing of his confirmation at Aero McLaren SP. While it's unclear on when and where he'd signed the contract, the scuttlebutt positioned June's Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. Oh, did I hear that somewhere? Home of General Motors Global Headquarters is the location for announcing the Indy 500 winner's move to the Chevy-powered AMSP team once the season is over. Caleb Hatch reported that, <laughs> folks, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Now, he got I, I, it from a source. Well, I speculated Detroit. Yes. Everything else before that, though, um, Rossi to McLaren, that was from a source. Now, yeah. as far as the Detroit, that was just me but connecting it makes sense, the dots. Right? Yeah. Yes. Go big. Announced it at the, the Chevy Grand Prix because it's after the 500 and it's the home track for Chevy. 
it's huge for Rossi to go from Honda to Chevy. I mean, this is big. I don't think people understand that. And so they want to make a splash, and that is how you make a splash with that announcement. Have all the, the big wigs from Chevy there and and make your, your big announcement. Man, speaking to people that are never wrong, Caleb Hatch, right <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I, I just just view my fantasy racing picks and, and you'll know I'm often wrong. <laughs> yeah, but you're in sixth. Actually, I'm you... in seventh. I, oh, I misspoke. So, yeah. see? <laughs> Speaking of people me. are never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the other entries, Renus VK, as you kind of mentioned, uh, could possibly you know be an option at McLaren. And then Callum Eilat has drawn interest from some midfield teams as well. Um, we'll see. Maybe he stays with Hunkos Hollinger. And Soffel Van Dorn um, is rumored to be staying in the series with a different team in Formula E, so his name off the table. Nick DeVries, his current teammate at Mercedes EQ in Formula E, will have a full-time role at Toyota Gazoo and their uh, WEC team. Jack Aitken, another name, racing LMP2 in European Le Mans, preparing for the first 24-hour Le Mans that he's doing. Um, he's holding out hope for a shot in America. And then you you look at where we're at down the list, Linus Lundquist, who leads the standings in Indy Lights. He would be an option as a rookie. Obviously, Elio Castroneves, if he'll have another year added on to his his ride at Meyer Shank, Jimmy Johnson as well. Oliver Askew driving for Michael Andretti in Formula E, but could he be an option for a seat? And then Santino Ferrucci, you know, could could he have another shot? But basically nothing, nothing a whole lot new besides confirmation of when and where the Rossi announcement could come. A lot of names we've heard before and no real concrete plans yet for them. Rattling off some announcements from IMS. It's a familiar name. Gallagher will be back. They will uh, sponsor the uh, IndyCar race on the NASCAR weekend. It'll be the Gallagher Grand Prix. Also, they will sponsor uh, Scott McLaughlin for Detroit and also the second IMS road course race. Nice to see and them And Gallagher back. will be on the pavilion in Pagoda Plaza. The Sweet. Gallagher Pavilion. So they are back and back in a big, big way with IMS. So good to see them back. Also, some notes from IMS. Um, this, this from NASCAR man underscore RR, but May 1st with 20 years since the safer barrier came into play. And that's been a, a life-saving thing for IndyCar. Ooh. All series, most definitely. Mohammed bin Sulaim, I, I apologize, I butchered <laughs> his last name, but he's the FIA president, and he met with Roger Penske earlier this week to discuss areas of mutual interest. Oh, it's happening, a fourth uh, U.S. Grand Prix, it's coming, folks. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I don't think I don't, so. I don't know about that. Maybe uh, sports cars or something, but something will come out of it, I'm sure. NBC announced their... Commentators for the 106 Indy 500. Obviously, it'll be Hinchtown, Townsend, Lee Diffie in the booth. Mike Tirico will have Dana Kapatrick and Dale Jr. on the Peacock pit box in race. So really no changes, just no Steve Latart. Which I feel, I, li- I like Steve. I think he does a great job with NASCAR and NBC. He just, he doesn't have that expertise on the IndyCar side. And we've said for a long time that 
the broadcasts of IndyCar races need somebody on that technical side, and they they filled it with the Indy 500 with Latard, but with the wrong guy. He's, he's a NASCAR guy, right? You need somebody that's able to break stuff down, a Larry McReynolds type, but with a background in IndyCar racing. And also keeping it with uh, the month of May, Juan Montoya will have Lucas Oil as his primary sponsor for the GMR Grand Prix. So a car similar to what uh, the Robert Wickens car looked like a few years ago. Great article by Jeff Gluck in The Athletic on Sage Karam on his kind of journey back to Pocono. Be sure to check that out if you have the opportunity to do so. It's, it's really, really good. Changes for the Music City Grand Prix. They're already widening turn 11, which is where they had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, issues near Some the stadium. Yep. Drive to survive back for another two years for F1. Also, congrats to John Oriovitz. Indy Split won a bronze medal at the Independent Book Publisher Awards. So congrats to him. Good read. I was able to check out a couple months ago. This from Ryan Marine, who's with IndyCar Radio. So Sebastian Saavedra, now you chatted with him during Indy Lights qualifying coverage on IndyCar Radio. Saavedra said he was really close to being in the 33rd entry for the Indy 500, just couldn't get an engine. An engine. He's here working with Lights driver Emmanuel Suleiman uh, this past weekend. And uh, some sad news from nearby up here, but Coldwater, Michigan, Lee Brayton, Scott Brayton's father, passed away at 88 years old uh, earlier this week. Race car driver, Indy car driver, community in the Indy 500, uh, legendary engine builder as well. I'm so, well, you mentioned Sebastian Saavedra, and I can imagine if Honda was going to make you know that special circumstance for that 18th engine, Sebastian Saavedra was not that special circumstance. Just my opinion. No, I, I don't <laughs> think so. They were looking for, you know, whether it was Hinchcliffe or maybe Catherine Legg, I think were possibilities, but yeah, it did not come together. All right. Random split era driver of the week time. All right. We're going to go to the 2001 Indy racing league and we're going to Gallus racing and we're going with Didier Andre who raced every single event in 2001. Yeah, that's right. I've, I think I've actually heard of him. I've never heard of Didier Andre, but uh, raced the 2001 Indy Racing League season with Gallus Racing. Did three years of Indy Lights, 97, 98, and 99, uh, and finished second in, two th- in 1998 with Pac West. And we know the storied history of Pac West. Uh, but um, finished 20th in points in his single season in the IRL with a top finish of fourth at looks like Richmond and also had a top 10 at Homestead. So just two races um, in the top 10. He did okay, but finished 20th in points. Why he didn't qualify for the Indianapolis 500 in 2001. Missed the race, didn't qualify. Uh, but as he, he was born in Lyon, France and competed in Indy Lights in the late 1990s, he was in the Nissan World Series from 2003 until the present, and he, let's see, he moved. For, he started in LMP2, then moved up to LMP1, and I think won the Le Mans, 24 Hours of Le Mans. Yes, 2003 uh, in the LMP675 class, he was uh, the winner, and then he finished third in LMP2 in 2005. In 2010, he was fourth in LMP1, so he's had a couple of good runs at Le Mans. Yeah, pretty decent. So uh, no updates on him. I don't know if he's still active or not, um, but he is 47 years old, out of France, 
And um, that was his one and only season with Gallus Racing. Teammates that year were none other than Allenser Jr., who also raced with him. And Casey Mears, who did the first four races that season with Gallus Racing. Didn't Casey Mears also, did he do a test with, I know he ran with Ganassi in uh, Cup, but did he do a test with I, another te- a cart team? I think something? he got Was a cart. Ray yeah. Hall or something? Yeah, I think because, you know, being Rick's son, I think opened some doors for him and was a uh, nephew. Nephew, right? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, I was able to get there in there uh, to maybe test. But, um, yeah, Didier Andre uh, raced every single race that year, finished 20th in points. His one and only season in the RL this week's random split era driver of the week. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week to preview the GMR Grand Prix in the month of May. All the excitement basically will build next week, and we'll be back with that. And more IndyCar news as it breaks as well. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.